You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. So open up to Hosea chapter 4. If you are new to the Bible, at the very beginning of the Bible, there's a table of contents just like any other book. Hosea is under the Old Testament, and it's kind of towards the back of the Old Testament. We've been in Hosea for the last three weeks. We've gone through chapters 1 through 3. And just to quickly summarize, uh, this is a weird book, is it not? How many of you think, though, this is an awesome book? Yeah, if I ask that question about any biblical book, you're required to raise your hands anyways. Uh, Hosea is a strange book because it's a minor prophet, which just simply means a man that God called to be a messenger to his people Israel right around the time period of 700, 750 B.C., The nation of Israel has split into two. You have the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah, the northern kingdom, which is known as Israel, and Israel is in a bad way. They are steeped in idolatry. They are worshiping graven images. They are celebrating and worshiping sexuality. They're involved in drinking parties and orgies. It is a disaster in Israel. And yet, because God loves his people so much, he comes to build and to restore. Friends, I want you to really hold on to this today. These two chapters, and I would say the rest of Hosea, has some hard things to speak. And the purpose of why God's love says and does hard things is to build and to restore. How many of you have ever had to have a hard conversation with somebody that you love or someone in the workplace? Six of you. The rest of you, you're going to learn how to have hard conversations. (laughs) Hard conversations, especially with those that we love, are difficult because we don't like hurting people's feelings. Or it's just awkward to talk about certain things. Or it makes us uncomfortable, and so we'd rather kind of sweep it under the rug instead of deal with it, and that is not God's love for his people. If there is a problem in Israel, if there is a problem in my life, if there's a sin issue in your life, God wants to speak and do hard things to you for the purpose of building and restoring your relationship with him. Today's message is called God Indicts Israel. It gives you the weight of what we're about to listen to. God indicts Israel. An indictment is to bring charges against for a serious crime, and Israel has sinned greatly against God. They have committed spiritual crimes. They have been cheating on him. They have played the harlot with idols and pursued their own wicked and fleshly ways. And God is warning them, come back to me, return to me. And here's where we are in Hosea 1 through 3. God calls this messenger, this prophet Hosea, who's a man of God, who wants to do God's will above all things. And God says, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. And Hosea says, I'm sorry, what? Yes, I want you to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. God, why would I marry a prostitute? Because 
I'm going to use this relationship, this marriage, to display what is happening in Israel between me, who is holy, and between Israel, who is wretched and vile and cheating and soiled. And so Hosea goes, and he marries this prostitute, Gomer. And it's not surprising that Gomer leaves her husband and goes back to prostitution and has children with men that are not her husband. And we saw in chapter 3 last week that God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, your wife is literally on the slave block being sold for a meager price. She's been ravaged. She's been soiled by the lewdness of other men. She's disgusting. And Hosea, I want you to go and buy her back and bring her home to be your wife and to keep her safe in your house. Wow. That is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The soiled, the ravaged, the things I've done, the things I've participated in, Jesus comes in and through his own blood and his own life pays the penalty for my sins and for your sins. He purchases us back from the dead, from destruction. And God wants to do the same with Israel, but there's a problem. Like Gomer, she keeps leaving her husband. She keeps cheating. She keeps wandering out. And there's some heart issues that have to be taken care of. Now, Hosea and Gomer are this microcosm of the bigger picture of what God is revealing in Israel. Does that make sense? And so today, as we get into chapters 4 and chapter 5, we're going to fly through a lot of content today. Here's what's going on. God is going to address the heart of a cheating Israel. A wandering Israel, a harlot Israel, and we do well to pay attention because I don't know about you, but in my own life, it's not hard to wander away. It's not hard to get off center with Jesus. This world has a lot of trappings and even the good things in our lives can become idols if we're not careful to position them properly before Jesus. So as we talk through today, you're going to hear a lot of hard things that God is speaking to Israel, some of which may apply to many of you and to me. And here is what I want you to hold on to. God's love says and does hard things to build and to restore, which means his heart is not to crush and humiliate Israel. His heart's desire is to build her to restore her, to bring her back to the vision that he had for his people. In Exodus chapter 19, before God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel, he's just delivered them from Egypt, from 400 years of oppression and slavery. And he brings them into the wilderness and he's about to give them the Ten Commandments, but he casts this vision for them first. He says, Israel, you are my special treasure above everyone on the earth. You are called to be a kingdom of priests, meaning I'm going to take my light and place it into you so that as you go out into a dark world and into pagan nations, you will bring them to me. 
And the third thing he shares with them is you are to be a holy nation, or in other words, a people set apart for my work, not conformed to the world, but living in the world, sharing Jesus Christ with others. This is the vision God has for his people. And yet we see how far they've fallen. We see that they're cheating on God and walking in idolatry. Hosea chapter 4, if you're there, give me a big amen. Let's pray and then we'll dive into the text. Father, you are a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. That's why you've gifted us your word. So that we can know you intimately. That we can have a real relationship with you by knowing your heart. Your mind, what pleases you, what you despise. And Lord, the honest truth is it's just counter to our flesh. What our flesh wants is usually the opposite of what you desire. Thank you that you're willing to speak and to do hard things in our life to turn us back to you. Lord, I pray for your spirit to speak through me this morning. This is a perfect word and I am a very imperfect man. Would you go ahead and behind this teaching. Would you soften our hearts, make us humble before you so that we may hear what you desire for us to hear and respond to your initiating love. Lord, thank you for each person who has taken time to open their scriptures, to learn more about you, to make worshiping you a priority. Now may it transfer from our hearts and our heads into the actual way that we live. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Here we go, Hosea chapter 4. God is speaking to the people of Israel, the people in general in Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a what? A charge against the inhabitants of the land. And here is the charge. There is no mercy or truth or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. If you came for a feel good message this morning, that has now gone out the window. The charges against Israel are grave. There is no truth, no truth, meaning there is no standard by which God's people live any longer. Yes, they have his word. Yes, they have his law. They have his statutes. They know what he desires. And yet God and his word are so far from Israel that there is no truth. We live in a country that has dismissed truth as a whole. Your truth is what you live. Now, here's what's scary. We're not, God isn't speaking to what's outside these church walls. He's speaking where? To what's inside the church walls, what's inside the nation of Israel. And so today, as we unpack these things, this isn't about, oh, we're going to point the finger at society out there and all the things they do. God is speaking to his house, to his people. Because we know this, when God's church, when his people are healthy, walking in his ways, 
It impacts our families. And as the family goes, your community goes with it. And as the community goes, so goes the nation. Israel is a sick nation. Why? Because the church isn't healthy and the family isn't healthy and the marriages aren't healthy and the community isn't healthy and Israel has gone sideways. There is no truth in the land. No one is abiding by God's word. I want to encourage you this morning. This is so important. Bible illiteracy is killing people in the church. Bible illiteracy is killing people in the church. And here's what I mean. I don't mean that people don't show up on Sunday morning. I don't mean that they don't serve in various ministries. What I mean is they don't read God's word. They only repeat what they hear. Some of that is good. But if it doesn't become your own in a relationship with Jesus Christ, at best you're a parent repeating things you've heard but not living them out in the way that you're called to. Bible literacy is so important. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to know his heart, if you want to know how he would respond in certain situations that you're dealing with, read what? Read the word. Read the word. Old Testament and New Testament. There is no truth in Israel. The second charge against them is there is no mercy. Well, just think about who God is. What's one of the best characteristics that we can think of? His mercy. He's full of mercy. As a matter of fact, at this point in Israel's history, there's been all kinds of bad things going on. And yet God is still gently speaking to his people. Firmly, but gently. Right now, as you've been watching the news, we see Israel being bombarded by Hamas missiles and broken down buildings and burnt out cars and blood on the streets. What a mess it is. Can I share with you, that's not what was happening in this time period. Israel thinks it's good. Israel thinks everything's going great. They're literally in a time of prosperity. There's money in the accounts. They've got their homes. The mortgages are paid. The crops are growing. And yet something is off because the soul is desperately sick. No truth and no mercy. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful for they will what? They will obtain mercy. And because there is no mercy in Israel. God has brought a charge against them. And his mercy, his patience is being tested. Lastly, and most importantly, in verse 2, it says, there is no knowledge of God in the land. This simply means not like knowledge, how much do you know and can you fill out the right answers? Knowledge as in knowing God personally, knowing his word, knowing how to respond when your spouse is grumpy, knowing how to handle a child that is going wayward. There is no knowledge or relationship with God in Israel. Now God is speaking to his people. And this is troublesome. They are the children of Israel. They are God's chosen people. And yet in the nation at this time, you can see how sick they truly are. Not a sickness that you can see outwardly necessarily, but a sickness of the heart. And here's something to hold on to. A sick soul 
is caused by a lack of relationship with God. A sick soul is caused by a lack of relationship with God. It's not circumstances that makes a heart sick. Well, hey, you know, I, I just lost my job and it's just frustrating and I know I'm not walking with the Lord right now, but once I get a job, then I'll be fine. You know, my, my marriage is just, it's so frustrating right now and it's really hard to stay focused on God and I know that once my wife shapes up, then I'll, I'll get back in step with God. No, you see, our circumstances simply reveal the type of relationship that we have with God. They don't determine the type of relationship that we have with God. This is important for us to remember because God often uses circumstances to reveal a deeper inward truth, to expose the things that maybe aren't exposed on the surface of our hearts. And God's love is willing to say hard things and to do hard things to build and to restore his people. Israel is sick. Their soul is dying. And it's because they do not know the Lord. They do not have a relationship with the living God. And I want to encourage you today. If you're going, how do I have a relationship with a God that I can't see? That is a valid question. But I know this. He has gifted you his word. And just as we talked about Bible literacy, if you want to know and have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, read his word. And as you read, God speaks to you, not in an audible voice, but as you read, you literally read his heart. You read and understand his will, which is why we then pray. Because as God speaks to us through his word, we speak back to him in prayer. And now what do we have? Now we have a relationship together. It's not overly complicated, but it is hard to do because the trappings of this world pull us in all different directions, don't they? They vie for our attention. They wage war between the spirit of God living in us and the flesh that we have. God desires and wants to return his people into right relationship with him. Now these are the charges, and the soul is sick. And then in verse 2 and 3, we see the symptoms of the sickness, not the cause, but the symptoms. Swearing, lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery, bloodshed. These are simply the symptoms, the outward representation of, oh, there is a heart problem going on. This is important for each one of us, whether you're a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or employee or employer. When our outward actions don't reflect the character of God, that is a symptom of what is happening inside of our hearts. So when a five-year-old kicks you in the shin, that's the symptom, but what needs to be addressed? <laughs> you're like, that foot needs to be addressed. What needs to be addressed? The heart has to be addressed. There's a reason why that child kicked you in the shin. Let us go after the heart of the issue, not the behavior on the outside. God isn't going, hey, you're breaking all my rules, 7.2. This one was, he's after their heart. It's why he's given them Hosea and Gomer's relationship as an example of what's happening to the heart of Israel, to the marriage between her and God. 
because there are significant heart issues that need to be addressed. Finally, God addresses the practical and divine consequences that are coming. Therefore, the land will mourn, he says in verse 3. Here is the natural, practical consequences of a nation that only pursues its flesh and its own desires. It will destroy itself from the inside out, won't it? When individualism becomes the highest God, and everyone is right in their own eyes and only does what they think is right, no one serves one another, and certainly no one serves God. And it implodes from the inside out. The land will mourn. And then God says, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. What does that mean, they'll waste away? It means this, without Christ and his vision for your life, just like he gave a vision to Israel, right? To be God's special treasure, to be a kingdom of priests, a light unto the world, and to be a holy nation set apart for his use. Without that kind of vision in your life, you wander purposeless. And the work you do becomes meaningless because you're just working for the next paycheck or for the next title or just to try to survive. And God goes, that's not what I have for you. You're going to waste away if you don't return to relationship with me. You won't have understanding of why you've been created in my image for the purpose of displaying my glory to the world, bringing people to the feet of Jesus. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. This speaks to God's divine judgment, his ability to remove and to add anything to our lives at any time. The charges against Israel's people are serious, are they not? Now, as we get into verse 4, God is going to shift from speaking to the people in general to the leaders of Israel. Well, who are the leaders of Israel? They're the priests, the spiritual leaders. And I don't have to tell you how important the role of spiritual leader is. But we do need to be reminded that it matters the spiritual leaders that we follow. The accountability that is there for spiritual leaders. And God is going to speak directly to them in Israel, which certainly applies to us today. Verse 4. Now let no man contend or rebuke one another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Uh, this simply means, hey priest, hey pastor, you can't point the finger at the people in the congregation and go, you know, I'm doing such an amazing job, but these clowns just won't listen to me. God says, the people you have are the people you build, priest. They're the people you disciple. Are you willing to say and do hard things for the purpose of building and restoring them? Not tearing them down, not putting them in their place, not establishing your authority over them, but instead to build and restore God's people. Are you willing to say and do hard things in the love of God? Verse 5, therefore you priests shall stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother, a mother being Israel. God is saying, yes, at nighttime, it's easy to stumble because it's dark. It's hard to see, but Israel is so lost and its leadership is so wayward and so wicked that you're going to stumble in the daytime 
because you're blind. And even if the sun was out, you wouldn't be able to see anyways. Verse six, my people are destroyed for lack of what? Because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from bringing my priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Once again, Hosea comes back in verse 6 to the core of why Israel is so far off base. Because they lack a relationship with God. They're still religious. The problem is they're religious with pagan shrines and idols. They've become obsessed with their own success at work. Pursuing the desires of their own flesh through sex and through alcohol. By being called by a certain title. By getting enough affirmation from people, whether it be in social media or in person. And so they spend all their time on their body image. Israel is religious, but they lack any kind of relationship with the living God. Verse 7. The more they increased, meaning the priests, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. The things that they're so proud of will bring them low. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. Uh, This is a troubling verse. Uh, In the Old Testament, how did you atone for your sin? Sacrifice. You would bring an animal sacrifice. Blood had to be shed in order to be forgiven of your sin. It's a representation of what was coming with the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. Now the blood of bulls and lambs could never take away our sin, but God made a substitute for a time period until Christ comes and fulfills the Old Testament law. And here's what was happening. People were sinning a lot in Israel. And guess who was benefiting from it? the priests, because they would get all the sacrifices. And instead of trying to redirect the people into a relationship with God, to uphold the law, to speak and do hard things in their life, to build and restore them, they were actually enjoying the people's sin because they were getting rich off of it. Modern translation, look at our lasers. Look at our smoke. Check out my new shoes while I preach sermonettes and tell you jokes. Prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. Just plant your seed money here. It's okay if you live with your girlfriend. By the way, let's get a beer. Yeah, I know our website says we believe in the Bible and the Trinity too. But what gets you to stay in these seats is we believe mostly in you. Wow, that's what was going on in Israel. The priests were literally serving themselves by allowing the people to just do whatever they want in their life. Championing their sin because guess who else is sinning with the people? The priests were doing the same things, whether it be out in the open or in secret, which gets us to verse 9. And it shall be like people... Like priests, holy smokes, like people, like priests, 
So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. Who is the them? It's the spiritual leaders of Israel. It's the pastors of our day. Church family, I'm going to say something hard and we'll unpack it together. Spiritual leaders make disciples of Jesus or sons of hell. That is all. Spiritual leaders make disciples of Jesus or sons of hell. And we go, wow, that's pretty hard. That's pretty harsh. But it's true. Think of a dad who just screams at his kids. Or think of a mom who goes, here, just, just take, take this iPad. Just go sit over there. I don't want to hear from you. I just want you over there. And then we wonder why we have teenagers throwing tantrums and why they don't want to spend time with us. Or if as a husband, the only time I pursue and am sweet to my wife is when I want sex. The result of that is I will build a wife who will either give sex or withhold sex in order to manipulate her husband. Spiritual leadership is an important position. In Israel, it was wickedly being abused. The priests were literally setting the tone for the whole nation. And God says, priests, don't you dare point the finger at your people. Because I'm dealing with you. And judgment is coming upon you, pastor, priest. This is sobering. When I stand up here, you know what I'm most afraid of? Misleading you. Not teaching God's word rightly. It's terrifying as it should be. God speaks to Israel's leaders. And he even says this. In Matthew 23, 15, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, to convert one person. And when he is one, you make him twice the son of hell that you are yourself. Whose words are that? That's Jesus' words. You think spiritual leadership is important? You bet it is. And it was lacking in Israel. And it's lacking in the American church today. Be careful who you follow. Do you have spiritual leaders who point you to God's word, who point you to Christ? Or do they make concessions for your own lifestyle? Because you're a tithing member of the church and we'd hate to lose you. What a warning God provides. And yet also, what a tremendous example he gives in Jesus who shows the opposite of what was happening in Israel. Jesus says this to his disciples, John 13, 34. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, this is a serious question, not a trick question. Does that sound difficult? <laughs> Some of you are still like, nah. 
It's, it's really not. Jesus gives a simple command. Love each other just as I've loved you. The problem is I'm loved by a perfect Savior and I'm a mess. And yet, through Jesus, he makes a way for imperfect people, sinners like you and I, to be redeemed so that we can actually love each other as Christ has loved us. And a spiritual leader who is walking with Jesus, who's in relationship with Jesus, you'll know him or her by how they what? How they love. And remember this, God's love says and does hard things for the purpose of what? To build and to restore. This is who God is. This is who we're called to be. First and foremost in our own life, we're supposed to speak the hard things to ourselves. To allow God to convict us and for us to respond to his initiating love. To his conviction. But we're also called to do that with one another. Because genuine love is willing to say and do hard things in order to build and to restore. Verse 10. For they, the priests, shall eat all those sacrifices, but they'll never have enough. They shall commit harlotry. In other words, they were sleeping with shrine and temple prostitutes, cheating on God. What a mess. But they will not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Consider your role of spiritual leadership, friends. Primary context, this is to the priests. This is to the pastors. But I would also say that in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissions all his disciples, all who bear the name of Christ, and tells them, go therefore and make what? Therefore, you are called to be a spiritual leader. Are you making disciples of yourself? Or are you making disciples of Jesus? And there is a difference. In disciples of self, we're the answer person. Everyone has to come to us. Disciples of Jesus go, hey, that's a great question. Let's open up God's word together. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. What does it say here in verse 17 and 18? Oh, that's, I think you're right. I think God is probably speaking to you in that. That's making disciples of Jesus. This is what he desires for us. Verse 11, you still with me? Yeah. As we get into verse 11 through 14, God is going to make abundantly clear what is leading Israel into idolatry. What is causing problems like these? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just thought about that. That's not, no. Just leave it alone. Our, our team is awesome, and they'll, they'll get things figured out. And even if it doesn't pop up on the screen, I'll, I'll give you notes. Verse 11, this is the cause of the idolatry of Israel. Harlotry, wine, and new wine, enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from what? Their wooden idols and their staff informs them. Not like staff that you have at a workplace, a staff that you would carry in your hand. For the spirit of harlotry, everyone say spirit of harlotry, has caused them to stray. They have played the harlot against their God. Uh, these things are important. And I want you to know 
There's nothing new under the sun. We're going to look at the three counterfeit spirits that are going on in Israel. And despite there being new shiplap, despite there being new vinyl on it today, it's the same three things. Counterfeit spirit number one, sexual sin of all kinds. Now it's important for us to remember who is God speaking to? He's speaking to his people. He's speaking to the church. He's not pointing the finger out there. We could do that all day. He's pointing to us in here. And he says, church, children, sexual sin is ruining your lives. And I don't need to go through the list. You know. But here's why it's ruining your life. Because sexual sin takes us away from the marriage that we're called to in Christ. And it leads us to partnering, literally, what Paul calls a harlot or a prostitute. And if our heart is divided, where we're trying to worship God and we're participating in sexual sin, we can't serve two masters. And that sexual sin isn't just, ooh, you're a bad boy or girl. If you look at pornography, you're a bad boy or girl. If you cheat on your spouse, yeah, those things are true too. But the problem was it was leading Israel to worship idols. I don't think we probably consider that when we think of sexual sin. We just think of actions. But think of yourself laying prostrate, bowed down before a giant golden pole. Because that's where sexual sin leads. And this is what Israel was doing both physically on the outside and certainly inwardly on the inside. The second counterfeit spirit leading Israel into idolatry was alcohol. Wine and new wine, Hosea speaks. Now I'm not going to get into, hey, the Bible says drinking's okay, just don't get drunk. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And Paul says, you're free to do what? Exactly anything. <laughs> Oh, spot on. Well done. You're free to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And Israel, alcohol is killing your marriages. It's destroying your homes. It's causing your children not to be sober-minded and make foolish decisions that have lifetime consequences. It's leading you into idolatrous worship. Well, how does it lead into idolatrous worship? Because there is the Holy Spirit that seeks to indwell us and give us understanding of God's word when we read it so that we can apply it to our life. That's what wisdom is. Being able to apply God's word in the right situations at the right time. But if you're filled with spirits, especially the spirit of alcohol, which inhibits your thinking, inhibits your heart, causes you false boldness or to say or to do things you wouldn't normally do. Now you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with what? A counterfeit spirit, which is always going to lead you to somewhere. And it was leading Israel where? To idolatry, to worshiping false gods. Guys, this is not about just morality. This isn't about checking the box. This is about the heart that was sick for Israel and for many of us 
us too. If alcohol becomes the thing that you run to for comfort, which I understand we want comfort, no shame. If alcohol is the thing that you run to to try to make you more socially loose, I get it. If alcohol is the thing that you pursue or that you do on a daily basis just to take the edge off, I totally understand. And yet it's abundantly clear. That's why God gave us his Holy Spirit because God does all those things through his Holy Spirit, but he has to address the heart first. So that if you're socially awkward, you don't need a beer. You need to learn to love others well. If you're constantly stressed out or depressed, you don't need a drink. You need to know God's heart for you because of how valuable you are to him and how much your life matters to his kingdom. Do you see the difference? And if we buy into this God of alcohol, it will literally lead us to worshiping a false God. Because when things get hard, where will we go? And there we are bowing before the bottle not even knowing what we're doing. It was killing Israel. The third thing, and I don't know if I put this appropriately, it was the best word I could come up with. It's very general and broad and I'll explain it. But the third counterfeit spirit that was killing Israel, making their souls sick, was materialism. Materialism. Here's what I mean. The text tells us, my people ask counsel from their what? They're wooden idols. Things that they made with their own hands. Things that Tesla made in their own factories. Things that are shaped by human wealth or human power. It says that their staff informs them. This thing that they hold in their hand informs them. You guys remember those uh, lucky eight balls? And if you didn't get the answer that you wanted, what'd you do? Shake it again. <laughs> you shake it again. Some of you who are under 30 are like, what? Uh, it's the same thing as a horoscope. Uh, it's the same thing as crystals, as rocks, as potions. Uh, it's the same thing relying on anything that is man-made in order to try to solve heavenly problems. And here's the scary thing about materialism in the church. Um, I think we know those things about everything I just mentioned, but what about the church building itself? That's a blessing that we've been given. But is this building our relationship with God? Because you come and you sit in here on a Sunday or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday morning, does that mean you're in right relationship with God? It doesn't. Consider ourselves as parents. Um, God has given us a tremendous responsibility. And for those of you who love your children, the question becomes, do you love your children more than God? And has that become your idol? It's so easy for us to chase after other things. And again, no condemnation, no shame, myself included. But God has to call these things out in our life. God's love says and does hard things to build and restore. And he's like, Israel, what are you doing? Get back on track. Stop engaging in these things. 
Sexual sin, alcohol, materialism, put it to death. And I will help you do it. That's what the Holy Spirit is for, to wage war, to give us the strength to say no to temptation and an out for every time that we're tempted to sin. Verse 13. Men, give me a big amen. Uh, Men, give me a big amen. Uh, That's better. That's better. Now, this applies to all of us, but men especially, listen to what God is speaking to us. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and terebinths. Those are just different kinds of trees because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. What a terrible picture that is. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with the ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled, or in other words, will be destroyed. Men, do you see what God is speaking to us? Our wives, our daughters, our nieces, our nephews, They're under our spiritual leadership. And if we are living a life of sexual sin or alcoholism or materialism or anything else, what more can we expect than those that we're in charge of, those that we spiritually lead to simply just go and live the same life? Men, your role is so important in your families. God has called you specifically to be the builder of your children, to be the builder of your wife. It's a tough mantle. But God equips you because he's called you for it. Verse 15. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives. For Israel is a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Ephraim, which is just another way of saying Israel, is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Hard words. But notice what God is doing here. He says, though Israel plays the harlot, he warns somebody else. Who's he talking to? He says, Judah. Judah, don't go down to Gilgal, which is in Israel and used to be a right place of worship. Nor go up to Beth-Avon. Um, Beth Avon's actually not a place. Bethel is a place, and God through Hosea renames Bethel because of the disgusting practices of Israel. Do you know what Beth Avon means? Bethel means house of God, Beth Avon means house of deceit. Holy smokes. Do you hear what God is warning Judah? Hey, 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 just because they call it church, don't you dare go over there. They're worshiping false idols. The lights, the music, 
the good-looking people. It's amazing, no doubt. But what's at the heart? Is it money? Is it power for the leaders? Beware of the house of deceit. It comes in the guise of all the right language. It comes in the trappings of all the good-looking things. And yet God is warning Judah, Judah, do not get involved with this idolatry. Do not let your relationship with God be soiled by religious fantasies or false ideals. Don't go to the house of deceit. Friends, is there any house of deceit in your own life? Where might you be running to? To seek the comfort that only God can provide. Who might you be clinging on to, depending on, or putting pressure on that, hey, your behavior impacts my happiness, therefore you better act this way or I'm going to be and you fill in the blank. Don't go to the house of deceit. Just because it says Jesus, just because it says on a website, hey, we believe in these things, listen to sermons. Don't just go blindly in. Listen to what's being taught. Is God's word being opened? Because if it's not, get as far away as you can. Because even if it's just a little bit off, it's still a what? It's still a lie and it will lead you over a long time completely off course. Judah, beware. Stay away from the house of deceit. Verse 16 for Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Uh, in other words, when we dig our heels in, when we go, yeah, 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 God, I know I should not be doing that, but right now I just need to do it this way. When we become like that stubborn calf, God says, I'll leave you in the wilderness like a baby lamb with no protection. I'll take that hedge right around from you for a purpose. Because God's love says and does hard things to what? To build and restore. And God is willing to allow your own life to come to ruin for the purpose of returning to him. Crying out to him. It's what he's doing with Israel. He's going to leave them out like a lamb without protection. Not because he's a mean God, but because this is what they want. This is what they're asking for. And like a good father, can I tell you? God hates to see his children not receive his blessings. As a parent, when you discipline your kid, who does it hurt more, you or the kid? Usually you as the parent, if you're doing it right. You hate seeing your child not receive the blessings and the goodness that you want to give them. And God's heart is way better than ours. We're sinful fathers, and yet we can give good gifts to our kids, so how much better a heavenly father does he give good gifts to his children? But God is willing to do this for the purpose of bringing his people back to him. Verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Don't get mixed up in their stuff. Their drink is their rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind was wrapped up. Excuse me. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Here is how God is warning Judah not to get involved with Israel. 
He says, Israel, or Judah, the company you keep reflects the God that you worship. The company that you keep reflects the God that you worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Christian. And then you're participating in all the things of this world. Yeah, yeah, I go to church on Sunday mornings, but I like to keep my faith private. Judah, don't get mixed up in the ways of the world. Doesn't mean you can't have non-Christian friends, but it does mean be careful how much time you spend with them. Who do you ask wisdom of in your life? Just any old neighbor? Just a person who will side with you? Or do you ask for godly counsel with someone who will use God's word in order to say and do hard things in your life for the purpose of building and restoring you? Chapter 5. You ready? (laughs) I think I'm ready. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah and spread a net on Tabor. Uh, Notice these groups that God is addressing through Hosea. Priests, house of Israel, which is the leaders of Israel, and the house of the king, Jeroboam. Uh, To give you just a reminder of the context of what's happening in Israel at this time, don't forget Jeroboam sets up two giant golden calves, one in Dan in Israel and one in beth And he says, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. Worship here, sacrifice here. You know why he did that? So that no one would leave Israel and go to Judah because what was in Judah? The temple where right worship and right sacrifice was to be offered. And Jeroboam wanted power so bad that he built his own altars and created his own places of worship with golden calves and then had the audacity to call them God's name to keep people from going to right worship worship in Jerusalem. And you know what that did to the nation? It caused the real priests who followed God's ways to flee to Judah. And now Jeroboam has a priest shortage. So who does he get to become priests? Your Tantra instructor. Yoga instructors. Crystal salesmen. False teachers. And they become the priests of Israel. And God says, coming upon you will be judgment. You have led my people into sin. And people, you're accountable too because it's your sin in following these false ways. You've abandoned me. You have no relationship with me. Verse 2, the revolters are deeply involved in the slaughter. Though I rebuke them all, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. There it is again. The spirit of harlotry is in their midst and they do not know the Lord. If we know the Lord, if we have a relationship with him, even if we mess up, even if we stumble into sin, even if we run to it, 
If we have a relationship with God, he'll convict us so that we can return to him. But if you do not have a relationship with God, how will you know when you're living apart from his ways? How will you know that you're walking toward destruction? We all run and or stumble into sin. The question is, do you respond to God's loving rebuke? Do you respond to God's loving rebuke? In Psalm chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, God says, My son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he what? He corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. God's love says and does hard things to build and restore us because he loves us. It's hard to explain that to a six-year-old. I do this because I love you. And it's hard to explain it to a 60-year-old too, isn't it? But here's the difference. If you have a relationship with God, just like if a child has a great relationship with their daddy, that child will understand a lot more because of the love between him and his son. And in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we walk with God and hard things are said or done in our life, we go, oh Lord, this hurts, but you're spot on. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me get back on track. But without the relationship, it's just some angry grandfather in the sky throwing lightning bolts, which couldn't be further from the truth. Verse 5, the pride or the arrogance of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. Darn it, what just happened? Judah got caught up in it. With their flocks and herds, they shall seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord. For they have begotten pagan children, and now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Here's what Hosea is saying. The people will religiously try to return to God. Hey, hey, things aren't going well. We got to get, we, we got to make sacrifices. And they'll go to these golden calf offer, altars with their sacrifices. And who will not be found there? God just won't be found there because they've abandoned him. And they're trying to earn his love, trying to deserve it, trying to get themselves back on track by appeasing God. And aren't you thankful that's not how our God works? That he gave us his one and only son, that even though we don't deserve it and we could never earn it, we can show up soiled and ravaged and filthy and dirty and simply go, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. You're the only way. And he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to make you a child of God, to become his son and his daughter. Verse 8, blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, cry aloud at Beth-Avon, look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. In other words, Israel will be laid to ruin and rubble when judgment comes. 
Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. God is speaking truth. This is going to happen. In less than 50 years, Assyria will come down upon Israel, wreck Samaria, the capital city, and take Israel captive back to their land. Verse 10, the princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark, or in other words, they're like thieves. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept, or in other words, he intentionally rebelled, knowing what was good, right, and true. He went the other direction. Therefore, verse 12 says, I will be to Ephraim or Israel like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob. Yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound. Uh, some pretty descriptive language here. Uh, God will be like a moth. Um, a moth is what eats in very small pieces. And you don't really notice it until you go to get that sweater out of the closet and you put it on and what's happened? It's tattered. It's, it's literally useless. And sexual sin and alcoholism and materialism were eating holes in Israel until its totality became useless. very sad in verse 13 it says when Ephraim or when Israel saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound there seemed to be maybe this point of recognition for both nations in which they went oh no we're in so much trouble what have we been doing with ourselves and you kind of get this like hopefulness of oh this is the point when they turn to turn to God cry out seek his face repent of their sins and it says that they turn to Assyria Second Kings chapter 17 talks about how Israel reaches out to the king of Assyria to be rescued from their troubles. And here's what's wild. It is the king of Assyria who ends up taking them captive. You know what that reminds me of? When we turn to sexual sin, to alcoholism, or to materialism to help us, what does it actually do? It takes us captive and destroys us because it's a cruel master. Not like God in one bit. Verse 14, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I even, I will tear them and go away. I will take them away and no one shall rescue God, that's, that's hard. That seems harsh. Why are you doing this, God? Why are you allowing Israel to fall so low? Why are they left alone and desolate? Why will you tear them to pieces? Here's why, verse 15. Because I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will what? So all of this that God is describing that's going to happen, all that he's al allowing them to go through, all the hardship that's coming, all the pain and suffering, why does he allow it? So they will seek his face 
and in their affliction they will earnestly seek me because there is only one rescuer and it sure as heck isn't the king of Assyria. It sure isn't pornography. It sure isn't alcoholism. It sure isn't our own success and wealth and whatever it is. It's Christ and Christ alone. He's the only one who can rescue us. He's the only one whom his people can turn and return to. And God's love will say and do hard things in their life in order to what? To build them and to restore them. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.